The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Serving spiritual seekers around the world. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Until mankind extends its circle of compassion to include all living beings, man will not himself know peace. That's a classic animal rights and vegetarian quotation from Dr. Albert Schweitzer. We know him as a medical missionary. He became vegetarian late in life, and Jay Dinshaw, co-founder of the American Vegan Society, received a letter from Dr. Schweitzer saying that he abstained from all animal products whenever he could. Now, we know that he was a medical doctor. He was also a Christian minister, and that's why I chose his quotation for today, because after the first break, we're going to be talking with Keith Akers, whose books are The Lost Religion of Jesus and Disciples, How Jewish Christianity Shaped Jesus and Shattered the Church. That's coming up in a few minutes. But first, I want to say hey there to everybody listening in. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. And I also have the great pleasure of introducing you to my co-host, who is right here sitting right next to me. I always love it when there are people around. And he is Charles Shen. Charles is the founder of rawyouth.org and Charles Chen TV, a thriving community focused on healthy living, inspiration, and empowerment. Now, Charles, who is raw youth, I'm looking at him here, and he's a pretty young guy, but he still managed to get up to 260 pounds in his life. Quick work there. He was lethargic. He was pre-diabetic, but he reclaimed his health food, And now he's sharing his passion with the world one plate at a time. Welcome, Charles. Thank you, Victoria. So happy to be here. Hi, everybody. Yeah, well, it's so wonderful to have you. So what brings you to New York City from Los Angeles? I'm actually in town doing an event. I'm doing a pop-up event, and I'm sharing gluten-free vegan recipes with the community helping people support them on their healthy journeys, and I'm super excited. Oh, so you actually, you cook as well. You're a chef. I'm a chef, yes. So Are, are you self-taught, or how did I'm that I'm self-taught, happen? and I did some training also at Matthew Kenny in Santa Monica. Oh. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But How's the cheese? I haven't had the Matthew so Kenny good. cheese. That's Kite Hill. Yes, so good, so amazing. Only good things from there. Whoa, yes. that is so wonderful. So tell us your story. We touched on it, but... What was your life like when you were 15? Oh, my gosh. It, it Really, looking back, it's just such insanity just seeing where I came from. 15 years old, I ate McDonald's every single day, 
hit rock bottom. You know, I had orange soda basically as my water every single day. And I had no energy. All my friends are outside playing when I had no energy to go outside. And I just hit this point where I was just like, I have to change my life or else I can't contribute to the world the way I want to and create you know, more service and help others. I have to get myself together. So you were 15 when you had this revelation? Yes. Um, and a lot of people ask me, like, what, you know, how, how do you have that switch at such a young age? It was just something internal. It was just something, it was like, you know, I, I speak a, a lot about this, like your inner guide. Like everyone has this, your inner voice. If you really quiet the mind, you can actually hear it. And that time my mom was bringing me to a lot of meditation. So that really helped to reflect and to see where am I in my life? Where do I want to be? Is this the life I want to choose for myself? You know, so yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. When I was up in Rhinebeck, you were asking about the going up to speak for Joe Cross yes. at his reboot event. The taxi driver who took me to the train station at the end of the day was a, a gentleman retirement age now, but he said that he was a vegan and that that had happened right out of high school. He moved from New York City up to the country where he'd always wanted to be. And he noticed that cows ate grass, something he'd never seen growing up in New York. And he just had this revelation. Well, if they eat the grass, I think I'm just supposed to eat plant foods too. And he made this switch at 18. So my question is, why did he get it at 18? Why did you get it at 15? And why are some people looking at bypass surgery and we're all looking at climate change and other potentially unpleasant eventualities? And a lot of people aren't getting it. Well, because I think our society is very used to the quick fix factor. They want things done right away. They don't want to work for things, you know, especially now with social media, things are instant, right? So as a child, like that's why I gravitated towards uh, McDonald's because it was fast food. It was getting all the nutrients. But then I realized, wait, I wasn't actually getting any nutrients from fast food. I was being weighed down. I had food coma every time I ate, you know, a hamburger. It would feel good in that moment. And then afterwards, I would just have no energy whatsoever. I would have to take a nap. And I realized, okay, there's a correlation between the food and my overall well-being. I need to start looking at what I'm putting into my body. Everything was processed back then. Now I eat things that are hydrating, things that have phytonutrients, things that's going to make me feel good. And I'm literally, after I have my juice, I'm like, I'm ready to go. Let's, <laughs> let's run a marathon. Well, you totally have the glow. Now, that was interesting when you talked about the fast food. The blog this week at MainStreetVegan.net, you can just go there and click on blog, or you can do MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. It's from a wonderful uh, graduate of Main Street Vegan Academy named Lynette Cowie. She is an image consultant in South Africa, and she's talking about fast clothing, that just like we want the fast food, we want this cheap clothing, whether it's made in sweatshops or whether it's got dog fur in it or whatever, just quick and a lot of it. And if we can just switch that mindset to let's just take our time and go for quality, everything would change. I so agree because, you know, when you buy that cheap, you know, clothing that you thought, oh, I'm, I'm saving money in the long run, it's going to get ruined right away. It's because you're, you're getting what you pay for. I think more businesses nowadays are seeing this factor of, you know, keeping the environment in mind and the people they're paying, having fair wage practices and having that whole aspect, you're voting with your dollars. So I definitely support small, smaller businesses and people who have that ethical in mind. Oh, I, I think it feels good. Just like you talked about juice. I drink some juice. I feel immediately fabulous. And I spend my money someplace good. I've got to tell you a story about my husband. You asked where he was. I don't know. He's out somewhere with his computer. But he's not a real fashion-y kind of guy. But Joshua Catcher, do you know Joshua, the no, discerning brute? No. Oh, we you need to get him to your party okay. tomorrow night. Joshua is a sustainable fashion guy, a wow. vegan, and a designer of a men's clothing line called Brave Gentleman. He does everything, suits and sportswear and shoes and hats. So William saw one of his wonderful summer fedoras and ordered this hat 
that, you know, ordinarily William's the kind of guy who would buy a hat from a guy out on the street with a table. But he bought this wonderful designer hat from Brave Gentleman. And it's just so cute to see him walk around. And if he's having a conversation with somebody, he'll say, I noticed that we haven't yet talked about my hat. It's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's, it's great. Too. Now I'm looking forward to that hat when I meet him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he does beautiful things. So I just want to know, Charles, before we go on, you're 15. You decided you needed to change your life. Did you immediately go vegetarian or vegan or high raw or what did you do? My mom was a vegetarian, so, okay. she, and also I grew up not really liking to eat a lot of meat. I was actually forced to eat meat when I was younger because they were like, oh, you're a growing kid. But when I hit high school and I made that decision, I was like, mom, I'm going to go vegetarian. I'm not going to eat any fish. I'm just going to go vegetarian. She's like, okay, you're grown. Um, you can make your own decisions. And that was the most liberating thing. That was the first time I was very conscious about what I was putting in my body. I started getting into the kitchen and cooking. And because, you know, my mom and my my sister, they were both busy, I got inspired to get in the kitchen to find healthy recipes that are quick and easy and also share them with everybody else. And I started doing research, and that's that's when everything just grew organically. That is so exciting. So we are going to take a break now, and okay. then we're going to bring Keith into this conversation. Everybody, stay with us after these important messages. We'll be back with Charles Chen and Keith Akers and more Main Street Vegan right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to tens of thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you have been served by this programming, we invite you to support it by visiting www.unity.fm and clicking on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Just like life, grief is a journey, not a destination. Whether it is loss of life, relationship, security, or simply the process of change, have you given yourself permission to begin your journey of grief? Have you yielded to the gift of grace? Join Rev. Chaz Wesley every Thursday at 5 p.m. Central on a virtual navigation from grief to grace and explore new horizons of empowerment, significance, and support only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'll light a candle in your name. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Such a pleasure to be here with you on this lovely day in June. If you're listening live, guess what this is. This is Paul McCartney's birthday. Yep, Paul McCartney, 
longtime vegetarian, longtime beetle. And guess what? Do y'all know that when I was 17, Paul McCartney bought me a drink? What? Nice. That was nice. Yes. Um, I was Ace Girl reporter. I wrote for a, a teen magazine, and I had gotten to know one of the Beatles managers, and I was in London, and he said, there's somebody that I want you to meet. And we walked through this little disco. It was called Bag of Nails. And we walked and walked. And we got way back to this table in the back that looked like the cheap seats. And lo and behold, there was Paul, who had always been my favorite Beatle. And he said, hello, Vicky. And I thought, I can die now. I have lived a full life. And then he said, scotch and coke, three doubles. And I had never drunk anything in my life. I was 17, you know, and in the States, we pay attention to stuff like that. And I figured, you know, if I die from alcohol poisoning in the presence of Paul McCartney, it will be a life well lived. So happy birthday, Paul. Cheers to Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're drinking kombuchas. Yes, that's right. That is so right. I am here with Charles Chen of rawyouth.org. And his Twitter is at Charles Chen TV. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, you can also find me on Twitter, Victoria underscore Moran. Love, love Twitter because it doesn't take a whole lot of time. Yes. Tweet us. We want to hear from you guys. Absolutely. And you can tweet us if no one wins <clears throat> the free book being offered by our guests today. You see, the way it works in the world of Internet radio, which then becomes a podcast, it seems that some people listen live and lots of people listen later. So if you are listening live, our call-in number in the U.S. of A. is 888-558-6489. And if you want to give us a call at that number, Keith Akers, who's coming right up, is offering a copy of one of his wonderful books, The Lost Religion of Jesus or Disciples, How Jewish Christianity Shaped Jesus and Shattered the Church. So call us, 888-558-6489. And if nobody wins, you can tweet me at Victoria underscore Moran, and it just might be your lucky book-winning day. Keith Akers is a writer, an activist, and has been for over three decades. He's the author of two books on vegetarianism and early Christianity. He currently blogs at CompassionateSpirit.com. And his other half is Kate Lawrence, author of The Practical Peacemaker, How Simple Living Makes Peace Possible. And his own book, The Lost Religion of Jesus, is on this theme as well. Its subtitle is Simple Living and Nonviolence in Early Christianity. Keith, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Victoria. Well, it's wonderful to talk with you again. We go way back, don't we? Woohoo! Yes, <laughs> quite a ways. Quite a ways. Probably longer, Charles, than you have walked this earth. That's oh my, my guess. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so, Keith. So many people are so down on the notion of Christianity and religion in general, especially people who become vegetarians and vegans, because they say the church just doesn't get it. Why should I even bother with it? Why do you? Uh, I bother with it because uh, Christianity is part of our culture and it's part of my background. And even for the people that are not part of Christianity now, I think it has sort of made an imprint on their uh, on their consciousness. And so I think that a lot of people, even if they've uh, totally removed from Christianity, uh, they uh, this is in their uh, in their consciousness. And I think that it's uh, it's part of our, uh, our our cultural heritage also. So I think that even if you can't quite buy what the churches are doing these days, that I think that Jesus still appeals to a lot of people. And I think that if Christianity were to understand its own best interests and the interests of the animals and the interests of the planet, I think that uh, that they would come to see the wisdom of uh, vegetarianism and veganism as well. So I anticipate uh, that there will be an increasing interest in vegetarianism, 
uh, by Christianity, and I think that Christianity really should be taking the lead in dealing with the environmental crisis because essentially what this comes down to is we're dealing with shortages of resources. We're dealing with uh, oil. We're dealing with fossil fuels. We're dealing with land. We're dealing with tropical forests. We're dealing with all of these natural resources, and we're turning much of the planet into a cow pasture. I mean, this has got to have some impact on us uh, at some point. And what was the message of Jesus? It was about simple living and nonviolence. I think that's exactly what the planet needs, and uh, we ought to, to listen to that. So, Keith, is there, like, any proof on what early Christianities ate and any proof that they were actually vegetarians? Can you... Well, I can talk about the evidence. I'm, I'm a little hesitant because I think when you think, say, I tend to think of it in terms of logic. You know, you know, you know A implies B, A therefore B. Uh, so uh, if you think of it in terms of, of uh, historical evidence, I think the evidence is quite clear that, sure, uh, Jesus was a vegetarian because the Jewish Christians were vegetarian and they had Vegetarianism is as part of their message. They, in fact, thought that if you were going to be a follower of Jesus, you had to be uh, vegetarian. And the Jewish Christians had the best understanding of Jesus because all of the first followers of uh, of Jesus were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. All of his disciples were Jews. And Gentile Christianity only comes in later. So, how do we know that these early Jewish Christians were vegetarian? Well, for several, uh, from several sources, the main source, the most important source, is the letters of Paul. Paul is absolutely the earliest source that we have on any Christian history whatsoever. And in Romans 14, he says, the weak man, that is the weak in faith, the weak man eats only vegetables. And he goes on and on saying that, uh, do not for the sake of uh, food, destroy the work of God, and uh, he counsels how to deal with these troublemaking vegetarians in the early church, and he advocates uh, diplomacy. And if you look at the other letters of Paul, it becomes clear that these troublemaking vegetarians in the early church are, in fact, the leaders of the early church, uh, James, uh, uh, Peter, and John. And that these are the people that are trying to get Paul to be uh, vegetarian. And Paul is very uncomfortable with this, but he feels very pressured, too, because he says, if it will cause my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. And so he wants to compromise with these vegetarians somehow, but he's also aware that it's a hot issue in the early church. Now, Go ahead. Yeah, now the later church introduces the Gospels, and, and all of that comes decades later. All the uh, the stuff about you know Jesus eating fish or whatever uh, doesn't come for like 40, 50 years, and it's written by Gentile Christians. So the story that after the resurrection, Jesus, in whatever kind of body that might have been, ate fish, may not be accurate? Uh, yes, it's unfortunate. It's undoubtedly inaccurate. And in fact, uh, you can tell that it's inaccurate because of the way it's, it's phrased. It's after Jesus appears, this is in Luke, I believe, chapter 24, uh, that the disciples can't believe it's Jesus. And Jesus says, look, look it, I'm not just a spirit. I'm a physical body and I can prove it to you. And he takes uh, some fish and some honey and he eats it. Uh, in, in other words, his, his eating fish is a way to prove that he's not just a spirit. And there was a big controversy in the early church over whether uh, the resurrection was spiritual or whether it was physical. Uh, some people said one thing, some said the other. In the early church, and including even Paul himself, uh, they conceived of the resurrection as a spiritual resurrection. It's real. You will, you will uh, really be resurrected, but it will not be on a material plane. It will be on some other spiritual, spiritual realm. So you're suggesting that whoever wrote that had an axe to grind and a point to make? 
Exactly. This whole controversy didn't even arise for like maybe 50 or perhaps even 100 years after Jesus left the planet. It came, comes from Marcion. Marcion is an early heretic. He was a follower of Paul, and he believes that Jesus uh, was not only uh, a spirit after his resurrection, but he was a spirit even before his resurrection, that, that Jesus never really incarnated on the planet. And so uh, after this got started, and Marcion was born about the year 80, we think. And, and so he didn't really get started until maybe 100, 110, and so forth. So this is very, very late. This is like decades after, after Jesus left the planet. And Keith, for some of the listeners that don't know, what is a Jewish Christianity? Uh, Jewish Christians consist of those followers of Jesus who also were followers of the Law of Moses. Uh, but they understood Jesus as they understood him, and they also understood the Jewish law as they understood it. And according to Jewish Christianity, for example, many of the commands in the Old Testament, that is the Jewish scriptures, what uh, Christians refer to as the Old Testament, uh, about animal sacrifice actually were not put there by Moses. God never intended it. Moses never said it. Uh, the whole business about animal sacrifice was put in by later scribes who just wanted to uh, prop up the animal sacrifice business. And it was a business. I guess the one time that we know of Jesus losing his temple or his temper <laughs> in the temple uh, was to run out the money changers who were dealing with the animal sacrifices. Yes, exactly. Everyone re- remembers this incident, which is crucial crucial for the gospel message as Jesus overturns the tables of the dishonest money changers. But actually, when you read the gospels, the money changers are nowhere at the top of the list. In fact, what Jesus is objecting to is the dealers in uh, animals, the people who are buying and selling oxen and sheep and pigeons. These are the people that Jesus is really upset with. And if you look at the various gospel accounts, in fact, in Luke, the money changers aren't even uh, mentioned. It's the people who are buying and selling. What are they buying and selling? They're buying and selling animals to be sacrificed in the temple. There's been some archaeological evidence, which just came up about like a few months before my book was was published, uh, where they've done some uh, studies on animal remains uh, based on the on the business in the temple, and what they found is that there's no way that the local economy could have supported this kind of animal sacrifice, and in fact, uh, that they were bringing in animals from all over the region, at least a third of them, and perhaps more, were coming from outside the region. So it really was, it was big business in Jerusalem. The animal sacrifice business was a way that people made money. So what Jesus did not only has implications for vegetarians because Jesus lost his life because he objected to the disrupted the animal sacrifice business in the temple, but it also has very much of a class um, effect that it also means that uh, Jesus was protesting against the rich as well, which is a, a prominent theme in the Gospels for anyone who's, who's read, the, read the New Testament. Wow, occupied Jerusalem. <laughs> exactly. So, what does this have to do with people today who follow Jesus? Now, obviously, you know, you're talking about looking at the Bible and, and, and ferreting out what's historically true and what isn't. So, somebody with a very fundamentalist take on things would disregard everything that we're saying here. But for the general kind of mainstream Christian world, why should we care about what they were doing in those very early days? Well, we should care because uh, this has a tremendous impact on the on the planet. Uh, we should care uh, because the because of uh, climate change. Climate change is related to livestock agriculture. Our existence is related to livestock uh, agriculture because. Uh, 
a lot of the fossil fuels that are going into the atmosphere are actually going into agriculture, that livestock agriculture actually is responsible for over half of all the, um, of the greenhouse gas emissions that are, that are now obtained because of all the methane, because of all the carbon dioxide, because of all the, uh, the carbon dioxide that the cows are breathing out, and because of all the forests that are being cut down, which are huge repositories uh, of carbon. And so this is just really not messing up the planet. And if we don't have fossil fuels, and I, I believe that we are uh, running low on fossil fuels, or cheap fossil fuels anyway, the expensive kinds will always be there. Uh, uh, we're going to have problems feeding all the people on the planet. Keith, so can you talk to us about more of what we can learn in our day and age now with all this technology? What do you think we can learn from you know the past, the simple living and the nonviolence? Well, we can learn uh, that simple living and nonviolence have always been ideals of Christianity. There have always been some Christians even though the church may be very worldly and a lot of uh, church leaders may be saying, well, we should go to war uh, and so forth and so on. But uh, <clears throat> what simple living and nonviolence have always been ideals uh, for, for, for many Christians, uh, even those that are not affiliated uh, with the church or find themselves on the outside. Wow, this this is very enlightening to me. Uh, we're talking with Keith Akers. His website is CompassionateSpirit.com. The books are The Lost Religion of Jesus, Simple Living and Nonviolence in Early Christianity, and Disciples, How Jewish Christianity Shaped Jesus and Shattered the Church. So just give us a definition, Keith. What do you mean by simple living? Simple living, I define in terms of uh, the environment. I think that some people think of simple living as being living a, an uncluttered life. And I think there's a virtue in having an uncluttered life. Uh, but I think the main thing is reducing our uh, consumption so that everybody, including all the, the wild animals and the domestic animals, uh, can live, live in peace. And I think that we're, we're living in a consumerist society and that, uh, uh, that we can't go on living this way uh, for too much longer. Eventually, we're going to have to, to, to deal uh, with the situation. Well, it's interesting when you talk about the environment and then you also talk about the money changers and the animal sacrificers back in Jesus's day, because it seems to me that whenever we hear about climate change, the animal agriculture is most of the time left out. In the current Time magazine, they report on a survey that shows that Americans are behind everybody else on the planet in even believing that climate change is happening, as if it's it's a belief like in the Easter Bunny or something. But even though it's a great article and saying we need to wake up and get with the program here, it doesn't once mention animal agriculture, and it talks about things like the kind of light bulbs we use, which I find just very frustrating. You know why that is? Why like, is that? Because the sponsors are probably like Kraft Cheese and like all these, you know, sponsors, and they have to keep in line with who, who's actually paying for everything. Interesting point. What do you think, Keith? Well, absolutely. That the that the problem is that. Uh, simple living is not good for business. And unfortunately, what we now need is simple living, not just as part of a virtuous lifestyle, but we need to make it sort of a mass shift in consciousness so that the, the whole planet lives more simply. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to deal with resource shortages, and we won't be able to deal with, with, with climate change. And so I see this as a way to, uh, uh, to deal with these problems and to Christianity as a way to make the problem accessible or the, the ideas for dealing with the problem accessible to, to everyone, including Christians. So, Keith, can you give us maybe like two or three um, tips and pointers on how to live more simply, just real quick? Well, I'd say go vegan, go vegetarian, uh, do as much as you can, uh, Try to reduce your your uh, your needs for for income. 
uh, shop uh, used and uh, and stay in touch with uh, thrift stores. I mean, those, uh-huh. would, be, that, those would be my my instant uh, uh, analysis. It's actually very complex to live a simple life because it's very easy just to buy a car, go to the store, and buy a bunch of junk. So simple living can be complex. Well, we're going to be very simple about listening to these messages coming up. And this phrase that you just said, simple living is not good for business. What I'm going to do during the break is tweet that. That's pretty brilliant. And we will be back with more Main Street Vegan with Charles Chen and Keith Akers right after this. I'm Dr. Tom Shepard, host of Let's Talk About It on Unity Online Radio. In my studies of world religions, I've repeatedly encountered two central spiritual questions. How do we make sense of life, and how do we live it more successfully? You're invited to explore these two questions with me in my new book, The Many Faces of Prayer, How the Human Family Meets Its Spiritual Needs. You'll be amazed at the remarkable ways people have learned to pray to their gods and to celebrate life individually and as communities of faith. Learn more at unitybooks.org. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. We're here talking with Keith Akers. His website is CompassionateSpirit.com, and the books are The Lost Religion of Jesus and Disciples. And I'm here with Charles Shen of RawYouth.org. So, Keith, during the, the break, you had talked before we left about simple living and maybe not just running out and buying a new car every year, what you feel like. But there are a lot of Christians who believe that God wants us to be happy and prosperous and have everything that we want. So why not? Well, I'm sure that God wants us to be uh, happy uh, prosperous? Well, it sort of depends on what you mean by prosperity. Uh, I don't find living on a, a depleted planet where animals are being killed all over the place, I'm not sure that that's my idea of prosperity. Uh, a lot of people say that, you know, they, they want to get out of this, uh, out of the, uh, of constantly being competing for, uh, competing for money, for position, for status, uh, for all the things that have been brought on by our consumer uh, society and by advertising. Advertising essentially makes us unhappy. Uh, it has to make us unhappy. I think that if, uh, if it were not for advertising and not for the influences of our uh, society, uh, that people would naturally uh, tend towards a simpler way of living. They would say, oh, I've got enough to eat. Um, I've got something interesting to do. Uh, I'm I'm happy. I've had it. I've I, I don't need to go any further. Uh, and, but instead, you know, we have this constant need to go out and buy something more. The whole purpose of advertising is to make you unhappy, so that you'll go out and buy something that's going to fix it. And so, I don't think that's prosperity. I think prosperity is true prosperity. Is, is happiness, and happiness is uh, simplicity. Now, that's interesting because Unity, who, who sponsors this program, thank you, Unity, thank you, our engineer Jeff out there at Unity Village, has a, a prosperity 
teaching. And the founder, co-founder Charles Fillmore actually stated way back around 1900, poverty is a sin. But I think that's a whole different thing. You know, poverty is very different from the delightful kind of simple life that somebody like Keith, you and, and Kate live. So I want to ask you about unity for any unity people who are listening. The founders were vegetarian. What do you know about that? Uh, I know that for like for decades, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore not only were vegetarians, but they uh, that they taught vegetarianism. And if you, I think that uh, Will Tuttle, whom I think you're uh, probably both familiar with, uh, went back and uh, researched all of the all of the many statements which uh, uh, which uh, Charles Fillmore made for over a period of decades. Uh, I can, here's one just I picked at random. Uh, I can say about flesh eating that the spirit has shown me repeatedly that I could not refine my body and make it a harmonious instrument for the soul so long as I continue to fill it with the cells of dead animals. And that's from uh, 1920. And if you go back through uh, his, his writings, you can find countless uh, references to this. And in fact, the 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 the, the Unity uh, uh, restaurant, the Village restaurant, was originally uh, all uh, all vegetarian. Back when Charles and Myrtle Fillmore were running things, and so I think that this uh, vegetarianism is quite compatible uh, with Unity. In fact, I think the true teachings of Charles and Myrtle Fillmore are completely uh, com- uh, completely comfortable with. In fact, really imply both vegetarianism and uh, simple living. Simple living not defined as poverty, but as defined as uh, having what you need. In the uh, gospel, or not in the gospel, in Acts chapter 4, it says that everyone brought uh, what they owned to the apostles, and the apostles made distribution to each as any had need, so that there was not a needy person uh, among them. So they lived very simply, and because they had everything in common, and on top of that, uh, they were all happy, and they were all vegetarian as well. So, Keith, do you think it's easy to become a vegetarian in most churches? Are the community members very supportive? Like, what's the reaction, do you feel? Uh, I, I have to say that it's sort of a, something of a tough road to hoe in uh, many uh, in, in many churches, uh, I've uh, been to, uh, I've attended uh, Unity, I've been to Methodist churches, uh, Divine Science, uh, many churches uh, uh, over the years. And most of the time, uh, you can find a church that will basically support you, but it's not going to advocate vegetarianism. It's not going to advocate anything like uh, animal rights. So you can be uh, supported, but you but they're not going to take up uh, the point of view of the Fillmores. So what does somebody do? Somebody they're they're in a church, any kind of church, and this is an important issue, whether for animal rights or the environment or whatever it is. How do they present it for the church picnic or <laughs> the barbecue? What practically does a vegan in a church do? That's a good question, and I unfortunately I don't have a, a good answer for you. For you, I would say uh, contact the Christian Vegetarian Association. Uh, I would say that if the church is not responsive to, uh, if disregards your your needs and uh, uh, totally about being a vegetarian, that I think that you have no alternative but to uh, uh, but to leave. Uh, it depends, however, on how much. Uh, what your attachment is uh, to the church. But I've talked to a lot of vegetarians who said, you know, well, you know, my church wants to promote the Heifer Project. In fact, that's sort of what drove me out of the last church uh, I went to, that they were very, very liberal, very nice. Uh, It wasn't a unity church. Uh, But they wanted to take up a collection for the Heifer Project. And I said, that's it. This is not my church. Well, tell us what the Heifer Project is, just so everybody knows. Oh, the Heifer Project. The Heifer Project. Oh gosh, it's it's, <laughs> it's this charity that it's this charity 
supposed alleged charity, which sends animals uh, to all around the world so that poor people can have livestock, so that they can eat meat just like us and raise their own own livestock and have their own dairy and cheese and so forth. So that's what it is. It's it's in my humble opinion, it is a thinly disguised advertisement for the livestock industry by under the pretense of, of being charitable to them. I think you would be more charitable to give them give them plants, uh, give them give them seeds, uh, give them the, something to uh, to plant, or just give them plant food uh, to, uh, to begin with. But uh, I don't think that uh, the Heifer Project uh, uh, really represents uh, either sound uh, agricultural policy or economic policy. It's not really hurting them. Uh, it's not really, it's, excuse me, the Heifer Project isn't really helping them. And then there are vegan food relief organizations. I mean, we had a, a wonderful a gentleman on uh, recently, Paul Rodney Turner, who was talking about some work being done uh, by his group in, in India. There's also a well-fed world. You can look up AFA, uh, that's a, a to help um, poor people around the world. There's also VegFam in in the UK. But I wanted to ask you guys: Have you both seen Speciesism, the movie? I haven't yet. Have you, Keith? Yes, I have. It's great. And, and there's that wonderful scene where they're doing the blessing of the animals that I think it's an Episcopalian church. And the young filmmaker brings, I don't know, if, does he bring a chicken? or oh, I guess he brought a picture of hundreds of chickens crammed into battery cages and asking for the chickens to be blessed. And the female clergy person was just stunned and flummoxed you know she didn't know what to do with the idea of blessing those animals wow i i always find it fascinating when people say when you know when people go to the butcher shop or and they and it says humanely killed what what there's no such thing as humanely how can you kill an animal and say that it was humanely killed and allow other people to feel less guilty about killing animals and eating them. Yes. Although, interestingly, there's, uh, they've done some studies, and this was in a book which was just recently written uh, on the psychology of vegan, veganomics, I think is the name of it. I'm yeah, not great kidding. book, Nat yeah. uh, Cooney. Nick Cooney. And, yeah, in which he says that the people who buy humane meat are the most likely people to become vegetarians. So I have to say that even though I don't agree with the idea of humane meat, I think it's like marginally you might spend 15 seconds happier as a chicken on it that was humanely slaughtered or something. But uh, that w- while it's uh, that still the people who are looking for humane meat are at least looking in the right direction. They just haven't quite gotten there yet. Oh, that is fascinating because there's always this idea about, well, if, if people do the so-called humane stuff or, or if they do the small family farm thing, then they'll just be complacent and they'll never be vegetarian. But the statistics are saying otherwise, right? Yes, that they, they are more likely than the average member of the population to become, become vegetarian in the future. That's so cool. I love it. Baby steps, right? We, they start somewhere and they raise their consciousness of where their food sources are coming from. And then that opens them up to, you know, factory farming. And they think that opens a lot of people's eyes and perceptions. That's great. Yeah, I think I re- so. Go ahead, Keith. Yeah, I remember uh, reading, uh, meeting Jennifer Raymond, who's a, really a, from the distant past now. But uh, she said that her conversion to veganism uh, was started when she because she was already a, a vegetarian. She was a lacto ovo vegetarian, and she said, "Okay, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to get my own chickens, and uh, I'm going to get a goat, and we're going to have milk and eggs that's going to be uh, environmentally correct and uh, humane because I'm going to take care of them myself." And she found out that what a what a hard thing it was to do in the first place. And in the second place, that it was hard on the animals as well because her chickens had problems because they were constantly laying eggs because they were bred 
that way because they they uh, they were bred to give uh, to to lay eggs uh, almost constantly, uh, whereas in the wild a chicken would only lay eggs maybe once every six months or something. A wild chicken, uh, and the goat, you know, every time the goat had to be kept pregnant, and so then there were more goats on the way. And so, how what are you going to do uh, uh, with these? Are you going to treat them humanely as well? So the whole thing became poss- impossible, and so she said, "That's it. I'm going vegan." Well, that is a great story. It's a little bit similar to one from Joy Pearson, the co-owner of the Candle Restaurants here in New York City. She said that when they started their first restaurant, and it was going to be vegetarian, and she started calling around to farmers in, in the general area to get you know the most humane dairy and all that, and she was calling and saying, so we want to get dairy from from cows that get to live out their lives and that aren't separated from their babies. And she said this farmer just laughed at her and basically said, are you crazy, lady? That's how it's done. That's how you have to do it. And because of that explanation from the farmer, the candles are, of course, now beacons of of, uh, vegan cuisine. And, of course, uh, Joy and Bard are wonderful longtime vegans. So... It's interesting. We don't know necessarily where it starts. We just know it's going in the right direction. Yes. So I want to back up just a little bit more into the history because a topic that fascinates me, Keith, is the Essenes. And I read a book when, gosh, I was probably 18 called The Essene Gospel of Peace of Jesus the Christ. And it implied that Jesus was not just vegan, but a raw fooder. And I don't know if it's a true document or something that somebody just made up, but it certainly sparked my 18-year-old imagination. So what can you tell us about the Essenes and their relationship to early Christianity? The Essenes are a historical group, and I believe that they were an influence on uh, Jesus and the first Christians. Uh, the Josephus and Philo both talk about the, uh, talk about the Essenes, they described them as a group that has everything in common, just like the Christians, and they were pacifists, just like the early Christians, and they had very simple food. And according to Josephus, the Essenes were Pythagoreans, which meant that they were also uh, vegetarians. And so the Essenes, at least this group of Essenes that Josephus and Philo knew about, were, in fact, had all of the characteristics of early Jewish Christianity. And so I believe that these were an influence on, on uh, Jesus and the, and the first Christians. I think that the, the problem of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think, are a different group. Uh, some of the early church writers, uh, such as Hippolytus, uh, say that there are different groups of Essenes. The Essenes have split, split into different sects. And some of the Essenes are very uh, peaceful, and the others of them are very violent, and I think so. That I think that the, the Dead Sea Scrolls probably describe uh, a group which is uh, more violent, which ate meat and, and so forth, and believed in slavery. Whereas the Essenes of uh, Philo and Josephus rejected slavery. So I think that we're talking about uh, about different groups. But I think that if you look at the Essenes of Josephus and Philo, I think it's clear that they, these are very different groups. Now, the Essene Gospel of Peace, which you refer to, unfortunately, is something that somebody made up in the, in the early 20th century. By, I think, believe that's the, uh, the Gospel by Zechelay. Yes. Uh, Edmund Zechelay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, people sometimes, when people don't see what they want uh, in the church, they'll just say, well, I can do better than that. And they'll, they'll make something up. But it, there's, it has no historical uh, reference. You have to go back to Josephus and Philo to get the real story. I understand. Well, the fake book has a great raw bread recipe. <laughs> yes, I, I know people who've read this book, and it, it literally changed their lives, but I guess for the better. So <laughs> That's all good. I just want to insert something from last week, and I, I want to thank Hannah Phoebe, who sent this to me on Twitter. When we were talking last week, it came up, what would you call it? 
when the big food companies and corporations go into an area and try to take away the people's affinity for natural foods and change their food culture. They're like, if you're destroying a population, it's genocide. What would you call it if you're destroying the food culture? And Hannah Phoebe said, how about gastrocide? So you heard it here, gastrocide, destroying a people's natural food culture. It happens all the time, and there needs to be a word for it. Maybe there is now. So, final question, Charles, to keep. Final question is, how do we put all of this into practice? I feel, how can we take away, you know, something valuable from this and help others, um, you know, find what can, how can they offer their, their service to the world, and how can they make a difference? I think we have to be confident that the world is awakening to a new consciousness and that part of this new consciousness is uh, vegetarianism and veganism. And I think that, that even though the churches may be resisting it, even though uh, many people around us will be resisting it, I think that it's inevitable. I think that it's necessary in order for us to live on a sane planet in which everyone, uh, all creatures, are, live with peace. That is so beautiful. And if everybody were more like these gentlemen that I have spent the past hour with, that would be the way of the world. Thank you so much for being with us today. Keith Aker's website is CompassionateSpirit.com. And Charles Chen's website is RawYouth.org. And if you're in New York City, uh, just check out RawYouth.org. You might want to stop in Soho tomorrow evening, although I hear it's sold out. But maybe if you say you listen to Main Street Vegan Radio. Yes, we'll get you guys in. Yeah, you get it. (laughs) So thanks a million. And hey, God bless you. And Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. The Great Forgetting. That's what some call this time in which we are living. It is a time when we have become so youth-obsessed and age-averse that the wisdom and experience of our elders is being marginalized and in too many cases lost. Each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time, George and Sedina Campanelli, co-founders of Age Nation and co-authors of the award-winning Do Not Go Quietly, talk with some of the leading wisdom keepers of our time about how we can use this precious gift called our lives to create a more sane, sustainable, conscious, and loving world. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central on Do Not Go Quietly, conversations with the Wisdom Keepers, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. We invite you to focus your attention inward with these words from Elizabeth Searle Lamb. This is a new day. Lead your conscious mind to that still haven of your soul where your indwelling Christ opens wide the doorway of your heart. At once, mind, soul, and body, you are flooded with the light and love of God. You are lifted high above this earthly plane and filled with the radiance of spirit. Send this love and light on to those whom you hold dear so that it may uplift, heal, and comfort them. As you send this radiance on, you are filled with a new sense of God's power, and you release this power to the whole world to uplift, guide, and bless all people. A day's tasks await you, but God is with you, and with God's help, all shall be done perfectly. 
This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify. 